DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We'll be joined by our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, coming up at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time right now to talk with UVU basketball coach Mark Madsen. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing well. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing, I'm doing really well also. When you're a college basketball coach, is there anything new and exciting right now, or are you caught in the same kind of time warp the rest of us are, and you don't necessarily know exactly what day of the week it is because they're all kind of the same? (laughs) I think the biggest thing for us has been, uh, I mean, we've really been focusing on recruiting. Um, Originally, right after the season ended, I was planning on, you know, flying different places in the country to to see recruits, and we were going to, bringing a lot of players we were talking to on official visits. But when this whole thing happened, they, the NCAA basically put off-campus recruiting on hold, on-campus recruiting on hold, and so we've been doing most of ours on Zoom. Uh, it's interesting that you have to do this. I guess you have to adapt. Everybody has to do it. But I'm wondering for you, you know, you're a personable guy, and you can talk to a lot of different people from different cultures and whatnot, and you get to know them, and people, I think, are drawn to you. You think you've been able to be as effective, or how much has it impacted your recruiting not being able to have you being in the homes of parents and players? Obviously, in in person is always going to be better because you can just build more of a relationship there, uh, read body language, things like that. But um, I think the good thing in the case of of how it's worked out for UVU this year is we've been spending a lot of time building relationships, um, you know, over the past six to nine months with players, and and so we've had you know some in person contact already. And so now coming in where you already have that relationship built, it's a lot easier if you have to do it, you know, online and phone calls and, and video conference. So as you uh, go through this, is it going to, because uh, it, it looks like there aren't going to be, uh, you know, the whole AAU circuit hit up this summer. How much is it going to throw recruiting into a, uh, a new, crazy, unpredictable place? How much is it going to lead to more transfers and in a weird way, is it helping you get ahead on the next class because you're at home and you got more time to spend on that? One thing, I mean, one thing we do have plenty of right now is time. And so we're able to watch a lot of video on guys, um, whether it's high school players, college players, transfers. Um, so we do have that. I, I mean, I feel, I feel bad for the high school juniors right now and even some high school seniors that, that are unsigned because – they were banking on going out there and being able to showcase their skills in front of all types of different college coaches. But, but now they can't do it. They can't do it. And, and, and so there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough, especially coming out of high school where coming out of high school, it's just a little bit more unknown what, what players can do, but there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough, you know, for a lot of schools out there. Um, if they, if they can sign the right players. 
I'm wondering, Mark, during your first season as the head coach, how you handled your emotions as far as big wins, devastating losses, like watching you walk off the floor as I watched that lucky shot go in at New Mexico State when that obviously was going to be your marquee win of the season. But yet, (laughs) if I remember correctly, it was a bank shot from – 25 feet or whatever it was and you know i can remember you when you won went to the final four in stanford and you were there's a video of you just going nuts out on the floor and we know what you did with the lakers Uh, what type of emotions and how different are they the highs and lows as a player versus a coach well they're different because when you're a player I mean, you're always invested in one thing, winning. But after a great win, you kind of you feel it as a player and you look at how you played personally. Um, after a really tough loss, again, as a player, you feel the pain of the loss. And you, you kind of just focus on what you yourself did wrong. That, that's what I did. If we had a tough loss and I was a player, hey, what did I do wrong? What can I do better? So when you're a coach, and, and if you lose a close one like we did at New Mexico State, you know, you basically look at every single player, number one. You look at yourself. You know, you look at yourself probably before you look at every player. And you say to yourself, how can I help this team get over the hump to get this win? At New Mexico State, for example, we're, you know, we're up one with five, six seconds left. They come down and bank a three in. Um, they hadn't lost on their home court in a really long time. We were about to beat them. But – as you go back and you watch the tape, you know, there's maybe 10 or 15 things throughout the first half and, and going into the second half where, hey, if we can correct these things, and instead of being up one, we're up seven. And then, you know, that's fine. Come on down and make a three and we still win. And so the coach, you, you feel, I feel much more responsible. I, I mean, because I am. And I look at all the little things that, that I need to um, drill and teach as a coach to, to help the players get better individually and to also to help the team get better. So as you do that, how much do uh, previous coaches, whether it's Mike Montgomery at Stanford or uh, Phil with the Lakers or somebody else who isn't as famous but still had an impact on you, how much do you hear their voices come flooding back? All the time. All the time. I mean... I'm lucky because I played for Mike Montgomery, one of the greatest uh, coaches, especially in college of all time, and, and Phil Jackson, who, I mean, his, I mean, Phil's unbelievable. And, and you know, I remember one time we we were up on our road trip in Washington State in the Pac-12 when I was playing at Stanford, and, and we had a tough loss. And so I happened to be on the plane close to Mike Montgomery, and he said, hey, you, you know, what did you think? And, you know, I was a freshman, and I said, well, I, I have to do this better. I have to do that better. But really, he was asking me, what, what can we do better as a team? And I, I could tell he was upset we had lost. And I remember on the plane, at one point, he opened up a, he opened up like a, a Wild West book, like a Western-type frontier thriller, probably to just to think about something else for a little while before he dove into the tape. And, you know, I, I always, I'll always remember that, especially now that I'm coaching, because if you get too consumed, you know, after a win or a loss, mostly I'm up late watching tape, but you can't get too consumed to where, to where you can't still 
be a great mentor, push the guys in the right way, and still have great relationship with the players. Is it hard to find that balance as a head coach? It's hard. It, it, it is really hard. I mean, I think I was alongside Luke Walton for a few years in L.A., two or three years, and I think one thing that Luke Walton did extremely well is he didn't get too high with wins and he didn't get too low with losses. Um, it's a lot easier to teach, uh, you know, in terms of constructive criticism to, to the players after a win. Because, look, after a win, everything's fine. After a loss, everybody takes it tough. The head coach, the assistant coaches, the players, and, and believe me, the, the players look at everything they did wrong. And so the last thing you want to do after a tough loss is just show every single negative clip, every single teaching clip. That's the last thing you want to do. But you, you still have to teach. You still have to show it. So timing, you know, one-on-one versus showing it to the group. That there's, so many, there's so much psychology that, that goes into coaching. So you're the head coach, and you're the guy who's supposed to have all the answers. So when you need help, where do you turn to? Because you got to be careful. You can't upset the whole team dynamic, show too much weakness and all of that. But you can't be the guy who has all the answers all the time because nobody has all the answers all the time. What do you do? Well, first of all, I'm grateful because we have an unbelievable staff. Um, I'll start with Todd Phillips. I mean, he won two national championships at Solid Community. Before he got there, no, nobody had heard about Solid Community College. Um, I'm, I'm speaking nationally. And then he helps build it into a powerhouse. So he's, he has tremendous knowledge. Uh, Todd Okeson, really one of the top up-and-coming coaches in, in the game um, in terms of I mean, he played point guard um, at Nevada, led his team to the Sweet 16, Great basketball mind, strong recruiter. And then you got Jared Jackson, who was a key piece of, of everything Texas Tech has been doing. So, n- number one, you have a great staff. But, but number two, I, I mean, I, I use my contacts. I use my Rolodex. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Mike Montgomery. I've spoken to Phil Jackson. Um, you know, sometimes you ask for advice because they've been there for good times and, and they've had bad times also as a coach. Um, as coaches. I remember one time at the Lakers, we had lost seven or eight out of 10 under Phil Jackson. And, you know, he dealt with it and he helped us rebound into, into a great season. And so, you know, I would say I turned to my staff and, and I turned to, you know, trusted mentors. You've been in the locker room for a long time, Mark, and can speak to this with a lot of authority, uh, particularly with that Lakers situation. There's been some stuff about Gobert and Mitchell not getting along and all that stuff. What is you, as you look, and I know you're not particularly close to the situation, but I'm not asking you to speak specifically. I'm asking you to speak generally as far as what the message is if teammates should be having any conflict. Well, it's it's a great question because <laughs> my, my first two years at the Lakers, we were winning championships. Everybody was happy in June, but there was so much conflict throughout the season. There just was. There was drama. There was – you would wake up in the morning and read something in the L.A. Times. Phil was, you know, calling out a player publicly. The player would go back at Phil. I mean, it was ne- it's never perfect in a locker room. It's just never perfect. Um, I think what you hope is you hope that that there's never a risk that can't be healed. 
And even if it's, if it doesn't heal a hundred percent, hopefully whatever rift there is, um, on any team, it can get back to a point where there's a professional relationship. I, I think one thing that's talked about a lot in the NBA is professionalism. You know, things are going to happen. Sometimes those things are personal. Sometimes, most of the time it's not, but, but sometimes it's personal. And, and that's where, I mean, it's amazing how many NBA players I've seen just get in the same room and hash something out and, and crush it. Now, that doesn't always happen either. But it's just amazing when, when two guys really want to communicate and solve a problem, it gets done. So some of us invested a couple hours watching The Last Dance. Does that kind of stuff uh, intrigue you going back in time, or you got enough on your plate now you, you leave all the retro stuff to other people? <laughs> well, I haven't watched it yet. Um, I, I want to watch it. We have a we have a seven week old and we have a two year old. So when I'm not recruiting, <laughs> I'm I'm chasing my little guys. I'm chasing the I'm chasing the you know two year old and I'm I'm holding the seven month old. Um, but I'm looking forward to you know sometimes you especially now I, there are going to be pockets in times nine p.m. at night ten p.m. where there's going to be quiet moments when maybe I can take a look at that and just enjoy it understand there's an announcement that you want to make regarding something so why don't you do it right now for us mark well i mean i think number one it's really exciting we've had we've had a great we've had a fantastic week of signings we've signed a number of great players and there was a new signing that uvu announced this morning um evan cole out of georgia tech is coming to uvu um he'll be a graduate transfer he's an unbelievable player He's a he's a high level talent. Um, obviously, we we signed a lot of guys last week, and and uh, you know I've talked about those guys publicly. And this commitment from Evan uh, came down the home stretch late Friday night. And so you know Evan is a six ten, two hundred twenty five pound bruiser, but also he uh, he has tremendous agility and tremendous skill. He shoots threes. He he drives to the basket. I was watching table one game where he he sprinted out on the wing. I mean, he looked he looked like a he looked like an NBA wing player euro stepping smaller guards. And so, th- this is a big time player uh, who's coming to UVU, Evan Cole. And I'm just incredibly excited. I think I think all all of our players are excited, and I think the university is excited. Um, the great thing about Evan also is as great of a player as he is, coming from Georgia Tech. There's a humility there, and there's just a quiet confidence and a leadership factor that that make him really special and unique. So I'm curious uh, because guys do go and move nationally, uh, but a, a lot of it still seems local and regional. How do you get somebody from the other side of the country? What is the tie? How does that work? How do how do how do you get to this point? Well. I think, you know, you look at all the success that UBU has had from and it, it really starting with Dick Hunsaker, um, all the winning he had. Coach Mark Pope kind of took it to, to an even higher level in terms of number of wins and, and success. Um, you, you know, you look at some of the marquee players. I mean, 
one of Dick Hunsaker's key recruits came from Chicago, Ronnie Price, who, who went on. Obviously, you guys—I mean, you guys know Ronnie well. Um, you, you know, you look at Coach Pope, some of the great players that that he was able to recruit. That there's a national footprint at, at UVU, and that's something that that we are trying to continue. Um, because, and I said it in the press conference when I first took over the job, we want to put up walls around the state of Utah. We want to fence this state in and get the very best players that we can get uh, in this state. But we also want to be a very big player nationally and even internationally. We've looked at international recruits, um, Australia, Switzerland. um, And and so we've looked at those routes. But but no, I think there has to be a a good balance of uh, across the board in recruiting. So you look at Evan Cole, he had uh, narrowed his list down to, I think, about uh, 11 schools. Obviously, you were on that list. So was BYU, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Boston College. Uh, so a lot of big-name programs that you were able to uh, secure his services in competition with. And correct me if I'm wrong, he comes in as a grad transfer, so he'll be immediately eligible this season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's immediately eligible, and he'll be ready to play out of the gate. So where do you but, sit? I mean, look. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, no, sorry. The, uh, I mean, the, the recruiting landscape is always competitive. I mean, and, and I would say for Evan, um, obviously Evan, Evan had plenty. Evan had many, many options because he's a highly sought-after player. I think, um, you know, I think we clicked with, with Evan, and I think he, he liked the style of play. Um, we recruited him hard. Um, but th- there's no question that, that Evan is a game changer, that, that he's a guy that can, that can come in and do huge things for the team. So where do you sit as far as scholarships now? Are you all good to go? Do you still have some uh, room? Could there be more we, guys here? Yeah, we, we, yep, we still have some room, and, and we're, still looking at, uh, um, we're still looking at some players. I think, we've, I think Evan is either – He's either the fifth or sixth guy we sign. I'll have to go back and, and, and look. But um, but we're in process with a few others. And again, um, you know, m- most of the local guys we, we've we signed the the, the Utah based guys already. But we're looking at a few other guys nationally and building relationships. Um, you know, the transfer portal is a big part of college basketball. It's funny. I joke with I joke with the staff all the time. I said. Coaching in college now is, is almost like building an NBA team or a G League team because it's free agency every single year. The only difference between college and the pros is in the pros, you can put a guy under contract for three years, four years in college. You can't. <laughs> you can't. Um, which to me makes it all the, all the better because it's better for players. Players should be able to have free movement. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Mark. You so you favor in terms of free movement. What would that be? They're immediately eligible, or have it be a one-time deal? What's your thought on that? Well, I mean, obviously, I think I'm kind of a guy that always sides with players because I did play, and so. Um, but look, complete free free movement is a nightmare for coaches because then I mean you got to rebuild your roster every single year. But but I do think that as you allow more free movement, it kind of holds college coaches accountable um, in the sense that I, I used to tell people, I said, look, 
in the end, when you're a coach in the NBA, you, you got to call guys out. I mean, you got to be a disciplinarian, but you have to be a diplomat also, because you got players making thirty million dollars a year, twenty million dollars a year. Coaches are making a fraction of that, so you have to have strong relationships with the players uh, to be able to coach. Um, and the way the college game used to be, I mean, it used to be a college coach could be a, a dictator of, you know, not, not that all of us are, but it used to be college coaches could be the worst dictators ever. Belittling guys, um, all, all kinds of things. And, and most college coaches are not like that, especially now. But before, when players, it was really hard to transfer before. And so when you're a college player, you kind of had to stick out anything. Um, but now, coaches know, hey, if I don't treat my players right, they could just up and leave. And so I, I ultimately think it, it's good. I'm probably okay with, with a one-time free transfer. Um, you know, even though that, that makes my job a little bit harder, uh, I'm probably okay with it. Well, Mark, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Congratulations on the get, and we look forward to seeing uh, who else you might land. Hey, appreciate the time, guys. Have a great day. Okay. Mark Madsen joining us, the former Laker, now the head coach at UVU, former Stanford star as well. A lot of stories there, PK. Mike Montgomery, Phil Jackson, Kobe. There's a, there's a few big names along the way there. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Shaq. <laughs> Let's not leave out Shaq. <laughs> right. you know, me and Shaq just hanging out when yeah, we practice. All right, DJ and PK, stay with us. Coming up, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joins us at 9 o'clock. we got a lot of reaction pouring into the first 10 episodes, the first two of the 10 episodes in The Last Dance. And uh, jazz fans, some ignoring it, some sucking it up and watching it anyway. We'll get to your reaction coming up next. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Commissioner Adam Silver said the NBA remains committed to resuming the season, but there's still no timetable for a possible return or even a deadline for canceling the 2019-2020 season. Jacksonville Jaguars have held trade discussions with other teams about star running back Leonard Fournette. The team has until May 4th to exercise their fifth-year option on his rookie deal. 49ers have fielded phone calls about their first-round picks. Numbers 13 and 31. They're reportedly open to dealing either or both selections. They're trying to add additional picks. They don't have any choices in the second, third, or fourth rounds as things currently stand. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st Century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Dirk Face for Deseret News. Draft-wise, kind of give us your thought on how many Utah players you could see being drafted. You know, that's a good question because, I mean, it looks like it's obviously going to be a banner year for the years as far as uh, getting guys drafted. You know, it's uh, probably not unreasonable to think that there could be as many as 10. And as crazy as it sounds, I mean, a dozen youths could end up in NFL camps this fall if we have football, obviously. But, uh, you know, as far as 
a pecking order. Jalen Johnson looks like the, the first guy that'll go. Bradley and I, Lucky Foe, too, are right up there. So it could be a real good year for the years. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Last Dance premiering two episodes last night. There'll be two episodes every Sunday night. And if you missed the two last night, they're going to replay them next Sunday. So sit down and just wallow in it for four hours and go nuts if there's nothing else. Or go find it on your DVR and call it a day. Right. Uh, So, are you, uh, we're curious, are you watching it, Jazz fans? Or do the memories still sting? And uh, Christian just tweeted at us, I totally respect Jordan for this great dynasty. However, it still stings, and I just can't watch it. All right. I, I still find that a little surprising because uh, when I was a kid, my favorite teams lost, and I was bitter about the Chargers and the Padres losing in the playoffs and losing in the World Series. Uh, but I still go back and like to watch that stuff. But... Uh, you take it however you take it, so uh, some folks don't Whoa. want to go back and see it. You want to watch them lose? Oh, yeah, I would still watch stuff. If, if somebody did something like this on the on the Air Coriel Chargers, even though they're going to lose those playoff games, I'd still watch it. Freaking Raiders. Well, they're not going to do it on somebody if you lose. They're only going to do right. it if you win. <laughs> so if they did something on the greatness no. of the Raiders in there and I knew the Chargers were going to lose a playoff game to them, I'd still watch it. No way, no way. But football's different because there's no one guy or two guys who didn't win. Nobody identifies in football, well, he didn't win. You really have to be something if you are identified in football as you didn't win. And the only guy in the history of NFL football who's identified, well, he didn't win, is Dan Marino. Nobody else. There's nobody else in football that you can point to. He didn't win. Go ahead. G- give me one other guy. There's nobody else. It's only Dan Marino. He's the only one who gets that label of he didn't win. But in basketball, you've got Nash. You've got the statues. You've got Ewing. You've got Barkley. Reggie you know Miller. I mean? Reggie in football, Miller. no. Okay, Reggie Miller. Sure, put Reggie Miller in there. Yeah, if you want to. Uh it's sort of a one-dimensional skinny shooting guard. I don't know that I'd put Reggie Miller on that level, but if you if you want to, fine. Where in football, it's totally different. There's only one guy, and, and Marino doesn't even really get pegged in the way the basketball guys get pegged. He doesn't. I agree with it's that. It's like, wow, yeah, he didn't win at all. That's a shame, but that's it. It's more like a golf thing uh, where, you know, the best golfer never win a major. But it's different because in individual sport, it's on you. You know, the golf ball is just lying there until you hit it. So that's a you problem. But Marino does get the he, – he is the best quarterback never to win the Super Bowl. Well, I think he's recognized as the best football player. Nobody else is even in the discussion. He's the only one. Kyle says, I thought I could watch the last dance without feeling anything. I was wrong. It still stings. Haven't even gotten to the episode. It better ep- sting. Yeah. Haven't even gotten to the episodes that sting yet. Just the mere mention of it. Of course it should sting, man. They're the statues. <laughs> There's, when I say the statues, you know exactly who I'm talking about. 
the stat. Now, if I say John, you may think of karate. <laughs> all sorts of Johns out there. Right. <laughs> Even John Crotty would laugh next time he's on the show. Because well, he still comes on periodically. Yeah, usually we, Miami we, Heat. Yeah, we usually get him on when the Jazz are playing the Heat. Yeah, bring that up with him. Uh, Ty Good says, dude. If Ty says, if you're still worried about this series, you have too much time on your hands. The Bulls were the better, the Bulls were the better team, and they had the greatest player of all time. So what? <laughs> so what that's kind of the point PK. never mind so what oh, yank, yeah, but- yank that last dance off the air <laughs> no I, I, I mean as it relates to the Jazz winning a title that those are facts I still think Jordan is the greatest is at least in my mind debatable now, not debatable with LeBron. If you think LeBron is better than Jordan, get out of my face. Just I don't even want to hear it. No, not not. D- Jordan's not losing to the to the teams that uh, that LeBron lost to in, in the postseason. And I don't want to hear about his roster. Being who Dallas have Dirk Nowitzki and and who else? I got to go back and I, check. I can I'm listen. To, sure. Hey, Vince Carter. Can, come on. I can listen to the roster on the Cavaliers teams because I think they were overmatched. But the Heat. Coulda, woulda, shoulda won four. And certainly coulda won three. But coulda, woulda, yeah. shoulda won four. And they got two out of four. I think the first time he went with Cleveland, they were wildly overmatched. You know, Jordan didn't lose a final. I get a little burned out on the 6-0 and stat. I mean, it is what it is. But he lost to the champion in the Eastern Conference Finals, and he was just fortunate that at that point the best team in the league was in the East – it wasn't over in the West, or they probably would have beaten whoever in the East and then run into them and lost in the finals. So, you know, you lose in the playoffs, and sometimes whether you lose in a conference final or the final just depends on if you're in the same side of the bracket as the best team in the sport. You know, Nash never made a final, but he lost to the champions in the conference finals. It was just a bad draw for him that he didn't get to the final. You know, the Jazz got to the finals because the Bulls were on the East side. If they played the Right. If they played the Bulls in the conference finals, we would have gotten knocked out then. It's like Keith Van Horn not getting to a Final Four. Well, they drew Kentucky in the Elite Eight, so he didn't make the Final Four. The next year, Kentucky's on the other side of the bracket. They went to the title game and ran into Kentucky. If they'd run into Kentucky in the Sweet 16 in 98, they would have gone out in the Sweet 16 in 98. So there's, there's a little luck of the draw mixed in there. And running into Kentucky hurts. I mean, let's just face Really running into anything hurts when you think about it. But uh, as as, uh, but that that those are facts in terms of the Bulls being better than the Jazz. But that doesn't sting. That doesn't lessen the sting. I mean, you were right there, man. You were a shot away from forcing a game seven at home with Pippen with an injured back. Now, who knows? Maybe you know he has a miracle recovery and he plays. What were they doing? Was that on a Sunday? So I don't know. What would have been two days or three days? They're playing on Wednesday, and those I don't even remember the days of the week when they were doing those things, but it, it was right there. And you talk about the last dance, I mean, that that was the Jazz's last dance. The other guys went on and, and, and played. Pippen had other opportunities, he couldn't get it done other places, he wasn't that good enough to get it done. Uh, and those places, and I, I think as you look at this thing here. Watching the first two episodes, the two guys—we heard old Jordan say, "Well, I won't. You won't think I was a good person, or a good teammate." 
Well, I saw nothing. Now, they showed some, some swearing uh, at, at practice. Uh, he was getting on Kukoc and somebody else uh, at practice, and that stuff whoop de doo But I think that Kraus and Pippen didn't come off looking good. Pippen, because, because Pippen doesn't have the surgery because he's worried about the money, and so he doesn't sign, so he's out. So that, that didn't make himself look good. And then we also know that in the uh, year that Jordan was gone yep. in the postseason, he didn't go back into the game. So we've got that, too. So we got those two things. He comes off as really selfish. And Kraus comes off as an SOB. But I'm thinking, so what? He's supposed to be an SOB. <laughs> That's part of the gig is to, to win. And he, so he he fielded trade talks for Pippen. That makes him a bad dude. I mean, come on, no, that's ridiculous. I, think, I don't think uh, fielding the trade talks isn't a big deal. Uh, talking about him so openly that can cross a line. And then I think that I think this stuff. Um, I agree with you that both Pippen and Kraus came off at times as looking bad. And I thought that the Joe Klein interview, and he didn't go into the specifics, but he thought that the stuff on, that was being said about Kraus on the bus just clearly crossed the line. You know, and so for a player to side with management and think other players are crossing the line, that looks bad on uh, Jordan and Pippen, even though we didn't hear all of the insults. We heard some of them. Uh, some of them, you know, one of the things. Yeah, the crumbs thing, that was bad. And the, hey, Jerry, you want to warm up with us? We'll have to lower the hoop. I mean, that could be said just kind of in fun, but it wasn't. (laughs) It clearly wasn't. Uh, But I thought when Steve Kerr said Jerry made some great decisions, but he just couldn't get out of his own way. You know, he Steve's been on both sides of the fence now where, you know, he was uh, he's been in front office. He's been a coach. He's been a player. So for his assessment of Kraus making it overly personal, because and you're right. Sometimes the GM just has to be the bad guy. He's got to feel the trade calls. He's got to weigh all the offers. He's going to be a grinder in negotiations. So some of it just comes with a job. You're, sometimes you're just going to be the bad guy. But a guy who's been in that job says he couldn't get out of his own way. That means that Kraus did make it personal sometimes when he didn't have to. Yeah, and he won six championships <laughs> by making did. it personal. And Steve Kerr, when he's been in that job, he won zero titles. Give me a break. He couldn't get out of his own way. No, he didn't want to get out of his own way because he was using it as motivation. You want to know why the Jazz lost 97-98? is because Kraus makes the statement – uh, Phil Jackson's not coming back. This is it. We're breaking up these guys. He sent the message to these guys. You guys, forget you. Let's see what you can do this year. I've had enough of you. You're at the end. Get out of my face. So what do they do? They win the title. Who's the genius here? He couldn't get out of his own way. Do I want Steve Kerr as a GM or do I want Jerry Krause? Let's see. I've got six over here and I've got zero over here and you're supposed to tell me that steve kerr who's he's gonna go against michael jordan come on what do you expect him to say he couldn't get out of his own way yeah you know why he couldn't get out of his own way because he had six nba trophies that he had to walk around and kerr had zero as the gm of course, he only got the sixth one because Reinsdorf told him, you're keeping them together for one more year. And then Reinsdorf told him again midseason, you're not trading Pippen. So, yeah, he's got six. 
but he got some help along the way. Come on, PK. Yeah, well, he drafted Jordan, and and how do you know that that wasn't set up? That he was that he really was going to trade Pippen because he didn't trade Pippen, and uh, the other stuff that you said about his ability to motivate guys. You don't think that that worked? The Krause comes off because he's a short, fat dude, and so it's easy to crack on short, fat dudes. Yeah, I mean, and he and he's got a. He just doesn't look the part. Jerry West, you know? Who cracks on Jerry West? Jerry West, he played and was a hell of a player, and he looked the part. Well, nobody says anything bad about Jerry West. So, But Jerry Krause over here, he's just a bum. He's a bum with six titles. Who you? I said this last night on television. Do you want your GM to be a bum? with six titles or do you want him to be this great guy who gets out of his own way and everybody else's way and he's just lovable and it's a funny quote and he has zero titles which one you choosing six titles yeah dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Long range, Jordan hits it. 56 for Jordan. And that ties the Chicago Bulls all-time leader, Bob Love. Jordan goes up for the shot and hits it. And has 61 points to tie Elgin Baylor's all-time single-game playoff record that he established against these Celtics. Jordan ties the game. 63 points, and you're looking at an all-time record. Well, you saw it in the last dance, and it's 34 years ago today. So that's the Chevy Strong play of the game right there. Know it. Today at 4.50 on the big show, and you will win fabulous prizes. All right, PK, 34 years ago today, Jordan goes for a playoff record 63 points. Uh, For people who don't know, that Celtic team was loaded. That was the year they added Bill Walton, stormed through the league. I think they only lost one home game, and uh, Larry Bird got his third championship. That wasn't just any team Jordan did that against. That was that was the world champs at the at the height of their power. There, they had uh, they went to the finals with four years in a row in that stretch and won twice. So that was an awfully good run. They won in 84 and 86 and lost the Lakers in 85 and 87. And they had Walton. Jordan was lighting up the best. Yeah, he was individually. They, they lost the game. I think that at that point was, I don't want to say it was his coming out party because he had been on the road to being a great player before that. But I think that was sort of a, a national announcement in terms of doing it in the postseason in Boston against the phenomenal Celtics team and most likely you can make a strong strong argument that it was the best bird era Celtics team and so he did that and you know they talked about uh, Ainge guarding him talk about Ainge playing golf with him 
uh, what, the day before, one of those off days. Uh, both of those guys, I've seen Ainge play golf literally in person. Uh, you know, obviously he's a phenomenal athlete. And Jordan, Jordan got the golf bug early on. And just it, it got it got under his skin or in his skin in a good way, probably in rather than under. And so we know that he loves the game. We've seen him uh, inside the ropes at Ryder Cup, presidential stuff, the international competitions. He's there, and it seems like he knows all those guys. And so that must have been a fun match watching those two play golf together. It's funny that the sport of golf, how some people you can really get the bug and, and then you, you just can't shake it. And we know Darren Williams has it. And that, not that you should be shaking it. It's not like a cold or anything, but it just becomes uh, their primary activity. And they uh, just want to get so much better at it. I mean, Coach Whittingham has that right now. He doesn't get the opportunity to play. Uh, a lot as much as he would uh, in the coming years whenever he decides to step down but that's uh, yeah that was quite an accomplishment uh, to be able to score that many points and it interestingly you know when Phil Jackson took over the idea was don't be so individually oriented let's find ways to spread the the wealth around because we'll be better as a team and you look at well the Bulls we want to know they won six titles and then we can relate two of those titles where somebody's hitting the winning shot you got kerr against the jazz and you got paxton against uh, the suns and so that i don't want to say prophecy but that uh, philosophy that phil jackson had turned out to be right phil comes away in all of this i'm, I'm going to be interested to see how he comes away because they did so much early stuff that uh, he was just kind of a passing figure. I assume he's going to kind of have his own chapter the way uh, Pippen did. It'll be interesting to see because, you know, Phil can come off as uh, smug and above it all, but he can also come off as highly intelligent, finger on the pulse, really kind of a genius when it comes to motivating and understanding people and, mm-hmm. and knowing, yes. getting the best out of them. And so you got these two things. But also you could see where he would just be smug and demeaning and frustrating. And, and so I'm, I'm curious – what they captured on film and what stories people are going to tell. I mean, it's, you know, Krause is largely the bad guy in this, but as we saw in episode two, you know, Pippen, it just, it just doesn't come off well. And, and Jordan, who clearly, I mean, they had some quotes. I mean, Jordan just adores Pippen, loves him, trusts him, but he didn't have any problem saying, well, this was jacked up over here. You know, all this over here is awesome, you know, and I needed him and I don't want to play, have another guy for my teammate. But, man, the, the foot surgery thing, Jordan didn't like it. I didn't want to wade into it too much at the time. But, boy, sitting in the chair, you know, looking back at it across the decades, he was pretty definitive about it. I'm curious how many people are going to be that definitive about Phil and, you know, for better or worse, what they're going to say. Well, Phil Jackson, you know, I think it's all of the above on what you just said. It doesn't have to be he's this or he's that, and it's exclusive. No, I think it's inclusive in terms of he's everything that you just described him. I mean, you have to give him his due. And I know people want to say, well, he had the greatest players. There's no question. And whoever wins the title has had phenomenal players. Andy Reid somehow is thought of as this great coach right now. Well, he won one ball game that he hadn't won. Well, he had great players. Mahomes is a superstar in the making, right? And so they got it done. 
And you, of course, you need great players to get it done. There's just no question. But you need great players to get to the level where you're competing to try to get it done. I mean, go go spend one minute on what makes a great coach with Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scalley. You know full well they say it time and time again. It's about the players, man. You, it's, and you're very important. I'm not downplaying it, but of course you have to have great players. And you look at Utah this week, we're going to see for ourselves just how great those guys were because I believe we're going to hear – Eight names be called starting running Thursday through Saturday this week. I mean, this is incredible. It's going to be right there with LSU's and the Alabamas of the world. They've got a phenomenal program over there with a bunch of great players coming through it. And you've got to be able to be responsible to coach those great players. And that's what Phil Jackson did because others had tried it. And they didn't succeed to the level he did. So you got to give him its due. Yeah, at times he was an SOB. At times he was a, 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 a almost like a pastor. I think his dad was, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, he was. And so you've got to play all these different roles. And it's hard to do. And he mastered it. So good on him. But sure, I would think that depending on what the agenda is of this particular series, how they want to portray people, it's so easy to portray Jerry Krause as just this what, just schlub, right? <laughs> is anybody going to point out that the guy won six titles or just as in he was a bum? He was no, I mean, he was just the worst. Yeah, well, hey, <laughs> you think Reinstorf was over there? Jeez, Jerry. I'm really mad at you because you weren't nice to Joe Klein or whoever it was. that you. So what? It's about winning here, man. I mean, sure, you want to do it with class and dignity. I get all that. But these are tough, tough jobs that we're going. Look at I mean, we're still talking about Gobert and Mitchell. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's such, such a big deal in our community. Two guys maybe being upset with each other to one degree or another. Ah. Hey, come on. We just had Mark Madsen. He said it was every day. Every day with the Lakers. <laughs> he just said that, right? The best Half part was when ago. he said, sure, everybody was happy in June. <laughs> but the season, there's a nonstop conflict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what managers have to put up with. That's why I dipped my toe into management a couple of times in newspapers, and I thought, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> I just want to put my head down and go to work, man. I want to be a team guy, but I also just want to do my job to the best of my ability. That's what's going to allow me to succeed. I don't want to have to manage people. And, man, my hat goes out to those guys or off, whatever the expression is, to try to manage people because it's not easy. I thought one thing that we haven't talked about that was uh, interesting in all this is they were recounting how Jerry Krause became the Bulls GM, and he'd been a White Sox scout, and Reinsdorf said you know, he came to him and asked to be the GM. And you know, there's probably more to it, and they probably glossed over it, but I've never really heard it explained, and I have heard that you know, asked in the crossover story before 
I knew he'd been with the White Sox before he was with the Bulls. And Lewis Riddick, who's at ESPN now, but who played in the NFL, he was a safety, played for several teams, and then he was a yeah. scout, and he yeah. was a then he got promoted to be a personnel guy, and then he was a scout again, and then he was a personnel guy again, but he never got to the GM spot. And Lewis Riddick <laughs> tweets out, so he parentheses Jerry Krause just quotation marks asked to be GM, and he got the job. That's all it took. Wow. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. The 80s Hashtag are a different kids. era. Yeah. They, I'm with they, you. And I they wa- were a different era, but it's like, there better be a backstory I there. I more on that, yes. Yeah, because Lewis is like working his butt off, and he's really, I, I like him on ESPN when he comes in. It's inside on players. He's, he's always real in direct. conversation for open GM jobs, too. Right, yeah, and you can see why. And and, and he's like, oh, he asked, huh? Nice. <laughs> and here's Lewis Riddick, who's been, who's been knocking himself out for years trying to get there. That was pretty good. That was pretty good when I saw that on Twitter. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is coming up. Stay with us.